Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. For this episode, we have Head of Product, Nikki Eggers, talking to Chief Investment Officer, Will Hobbs, and Investment Funds Director, Mike Haslam, about the shape of the economic recovery to come and how our panel of preferred fund managers are trying to sift through the potential winners and losers. Okay, hello. Welcome to Word on the Street. This week, we've got Mike Haslam and Will Hobbs, a familiar pair that um, the, the listeners to Word on the Street are used to hearing from. And we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on in the world. Um, specifically, Mike, you know, we had you on fairly recently. You were telling us a bit about how fund managers have been doing during during the market volatility, especially you know what we saw in March and April. And there were lots of really fascinating stories. We've got quite a bit of feedback that people love to hear a bit about some of the detail. Um, so we thought we'd ask you to come back and, and share a few more insights that you've gleaned. So, so what have you been hearing more recently? What's going on? Thanks, Nikki. And thanks for inviting me back here. Uh, well, the one thing that's on every fund manager's mind is what kind of recovery are we in for? And I've had all sorts of names, for all sorts of different types of recoveries. Is it a V-shaped recovery? Is it W-shaped, square root symbol, whatever? But now think about companies. Now, every single company is unique, and therefore its own recovery will be very different to all the other companies. Some companies will, will, have, will have already experienced a V-shaped recovery and are now back to normal. Other companies will have experienced an L-shaped recovery and haven't recovered at all yet. And this is what fund managers are doing. They're trying to forecast the recovery of each company, the recovery shape of each individual company, because they are unique. And so, Mike, can you give us some example of the sorts of companies that, that you're hearing or seeing have had what looks like a V-shaped recovery at this stage? Sure. I think the classic one is probably Amazon. Um, actually, Amazon never really suffered as a business during the, during the, uh, the market falls early this year, but its share price did. Now, the share price of Amazon was down nearly 25% at one point in March this year, but it has fully fully bounced right back. In fact, it took just 25 days to fall nearly 25%, and then it fully recovered during the next 25 days. So that is what you call a classic V-shaped recovery. Wow. And are you seeing evidence of fund managers looking specifically for, for these kinds of companies to buy? Yes, Absolutely. Um, the recent unprecedented world that we've been living through has really tested companies, not just societies, but companies as well, really to the limit. With so much uncertainty as to where we go from here, companies like Amazon have shown themselves to be really resilient, incredibly resilient, and they are getting stronger at the same time. More people have been buying online than ever before. Amazon has survived, and it has come out the other end stronger than ever. So it's thriving, and I, I, certainly as a, as a bit of a litmus test, I have to say, Eggers Towers seems to be um, doing a lot of our business at Amazon, it feels. Um, so, so I guess similarly, we're seeing supermarkets um, behaving in the same kind of way with more online sales. Um, well, yes and no. So yes, more of us are shopping online, especially with the supermarkets. And that trend is here to stay. It's not going to reverse. Now, here's an interesting stat I read the other day. Um, at the start of this year, 7% of all UK grocery sales were done online and delivered. 7%. Now, it took 20 years ago to build up from 0 to 
but early this year it took just eight weeks to double that number to 14%. So that two decades worth of change has happened again in just 56 days. That's an unbelievable leap. Wow. And you said yes and no. Yeah, sorry, yeah, I, I, yeah. I got a bit carried away with those numbers. Um, the problem with online grocery sales is that it is very expensive. You have the cost of the pickers in the stores packing each order into the boxes or the, or the bags. Then there's the cost of the drivers themselves. It's actually a low margin part of the supermarket's business, which itself is, is not an incredibly high margin business anyway. So it's something the supermarkets have seen online sales and home deliveries, something as a long-term project where one day they will work out how to make money out of it all. So as more and more of us are shopping online for our food, yes, it's more revenue for the supermarkets, but it more but it's more costs. Net-net, supermarkets haven't really made any more money, despite them having been open throughout the entire lockdown period. And if you look at the share price of supermarkets, you find that the share prices all fell when the market sold off in March. Then they bounce back a bit, as the markets realise that supermarkets could be a good place to invest during the lockdown because they're still open. Then, when it was realised that this surge in online deliveries wasn't really going to be the profits bonanza for supermarkets, shares fell again. So, oh, so that sounds like a W-shaped recovery. Exactly, you've got it. Exactly. If the, if they do bounce now, if they do bounce back, that will then be this classic W-shaped um, um, recovery. So fund managers are looking for these companies. They're looking for those companies that haven't done an Amazon yet. They haven't bounced back, but they have potential. And I've heard a couple of fund managers recently saying that the supermarkets are pretty attractive places to invest in. They'll work out one day how to make money from their online deliveries because I because the feeling is those little delivery vans that seem to spend all day zipping up and down my streets, they aren't going away. They are here to stay. Okay, and probably got time for another one. So what about you mentioned u-shaped recovery and i and i still haven't got the the standard oh no i was going to say standard deviation but the square root formula <laughs> recovery <laughs> i'm getting my That's algebra genius. mixed up <laughs> You're yeah, really confusing me. <laughs> okay here's one um dfs dfs the sofa manufacturer the one whose sale must end this sunday so dfs shops reopened back in june i believe it was now, we've all been at home for months. We've been keeping ourselves busy doing a bit of DIY, etc. But while we've been at home, we've all been sitting on the same old tired sofa for months. We need a new one. And actually, here's something you might be interested in. I learned something new this week. It's a phrase called sofa park. Now, sofa park is the industry term for the average age of a sofa. Apparently, in the UK, it's close to an all-time high. Somewhere in the region of 15 years is the average age of a sofa in the, in the UK today. I don't know if you want to admit the age of yours, Will, Nikki. Yeah. No, yeah. Mine's only, a couple of, mine's only a couple of years old, but it took like four years of campaigning with my wife to get a new one because the last one was just so unfriendly. Um, and now I've got one more like a bed. But yeah. Yeah, my, mine's, mine's, a bit, mine's a bit older. So maybe, maybe somewhere in between our average gets you to uh, the magic number you're looking for. <laughs> Mine is about three years old. We, we, we bought a dog three years ago and he ate our sofas. It's a long story. I'm not going into it here. Oh, but no. yes, ours, ours is only three <laughs> years old. It was, it was a terrible sight in the morning, I'll tell you. Anyway, um, so there is, there is this huge pent-up demand for new sofas. Three weeks ago, DFS announced year-on-year -year sales at their stores were up 69%. 
So that's year on year. That is versus the same time last year, not versus three months ago when all the shops were shut versus this time last year. So yes, sales have stopped completely when, you know, when, when the stores were closed. But this is a huge rebound. But the share price hasn't rebounded. The shares are still, um, they, they, they dropped about 60, 70% earlier this year. And they're still at about half of what they were at the beginning of the year. Haven't gone anywhere. Sounds sounds L-shaped to me. So there hasn't really been much of a recovery then. Exactly. Uh, but if the shares do recover, then it could be a U-shaped recovery. So one fund manager I was listening to the, um, the other week described DFS as one of the best UK retail stocks out there. It's exactly the sort of company he looks for. It is a survivor of the lockdown. It's reopened and it is taking market share. Before the crisis, so at the beginning of this year, DFS had a market share of 34%, 34% market share. And it's obvious that not all of its competitors will survive. We heard the terrible news about five weeks ago that Harvey's furniture had gone bust. Harvey's had a 4% market share, and probably most of that, if not all of it, will go to DFS. And there are others as well that, um, um, who haven't survived. So at the moment, the share price of DFS looks like a square root equation shape. It's, backed, it's, it's kind of bounced back a little bit, but it hasn't done anything now for three or four months. But if the fund manager's prediction comes true, it could well be a U-shaped recovery. Sounds, sounds interesting. Um, and of course, we're not for a minute uh, making any kind of recommendation um, dur during this podcast. It's just giving good colour as to what you're hearing from some of these fund managers. And, and I guess for, for many companies, the, the marketplace has, has really changed, um, you know, where we are today versus where it was at the beginning of the year when we were all so innocent, didn't see what was coming. Um, you know, wh what, are you, what are you seeing there? Yes, indeed. There's even more work for the active managers to carry out today than ever before. Now, I've got one more example. Sorry, I keep on throwing these on you. But I find this one really interesting. Cruise ships, fascinating industry, cruise ships. It's an industry that has been really hit hard by the pandemic. But it is changing, and it's changing pretty rapidly. So Carnival Cruises, who's, um, who is the world's largest operator, they have over 100 ships worldwide, including the five largest cruise ships in the world, each able to carry between six and 7,000 passengers. They are massive things. But Carnival have recently announced they are selling over 10% of its fleet. They have cancelled the purchase of four new ships, and they have delayed the arrival of two mega liners, including one ship which will set to be the largest cruise ship in the world. But where there are losers, there are winners. And I was reading a report last week which stated that over 90% of ocean-going bookings during the last month have been made for ships that carry fewer than a thousand passengers. So no more of this kind of kind of mega 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 cruise ships. And demand has surged for you know these these European river cruises on ships you know, down the uh, down the Danube etc. that you read about in the Sunday Times. Um, and these are the ships that carry maybe 150 passengers. Companies such as Viking Cruises are um, are launching new ships, buying new ships with capacities of between 100 and 200 passengers. So this could be a long-term change to the industry. So while fund managers are grappling with the whole economic changes and impact on the sector, they've also, go back, they've also got to go back to the drawing board and try to understand how companies are going to look in the future. And cruise companies are a really good example. Um, a graph showing the share price for cruises, is Carnival Cruises, is certainly an L shape. There has been no recovery at all. But who knows, if the company adapts, which no doubt it will, who knows, um, you know, it could well be another U-shaped curve. 
so it's been a very busy time for the fund managers, is, is what I'm hearing, a lot to keep up with. Absolutely, absolutely. We are, you know, we are seeing some interesting changes across across investment portfolios. What we're seeing is, firstly, build a foundation of strong, resilient companies. I talked about Amazon earlier, but there's a lot of work going into finding those companies that will emerge stronger and fitter out the other end of this crisis. And if you can buy those companies while the share price is cheap, even better. And that's what you're paying an an active manager for. Okay, that's that's uh, really fascinating. So. Will, I mean, we just heard Mike give us a bit of a rundown, um, example companies um, that, that so far seem to be representing the kinds of recoveries um, as, as, as he went through the letters of the alphabet. But in your mind, you and the team, I mean, obviously, economic um, outlook and, and recovery is clearly uh, a, key, a key component of, of how you read the market. Where do you think we're at? Um, yeah, Nikki, I mean, a, a fascinating conversation between you two. And, and I ha- hate to say it, but this is not an easy uh, question or answer. Um, permission to be a little bit long-winded. I promise not to be too long-winded. But I think the reality is that much depends on the evolution of treatments and vaccines. Um, we'll see a lot more news on both in the next two months in particular, I think. But but the recovery to date, you know, we talked about it just then, it has been sharp. But in a sense, that's a function of the nature of the crisis and the corresponding kind of response, the necessary response from policymakers. So, uh, you know, as you and I have talked about before, you know, most recessions come about as a kind of antidote to persistent misbehavior in the economy. Uh, and this informs, to a certain extent, how the economy recovers from that hit. So you take, you know, we talked about before, again, the, the great, you know, the global financial crisis, the great financial crisis, although obviously not much great about it. Um, it, it took a decade or so uh, for the bad behavior to build up in the US subprime housing sector. And then when it came to the recovery, that left a huge stock of unsold homes nobody wanted uh, for the economy to chew through, a global financial system to substantially reorganize and so on. Now, these factors dragged on the economy's ability to, to rapidly recover. Now, this time, actually, there wasn't too much misbehavior, too much misbehavior about beforehand. Um, there was no urgent need uh, for a recession, if you like. However, policymakers forced large chunks of the economy into that kind of suspended animation uh, in order to facilitate the fight against the virus. Now, this created some incredible data, um, you know, so Q2, incredibly awful data, you know, so Q2 uh, GDP output data in the US and many other countries saw the sharpest declines in output ever, incomes ever. Um, however, as policymakers have reanimated some of those parts of the economy, Q3, which we're in the middle of uh, right now, obviously, it is likely to see the sharpest quarterly rise in incomes and output that many countries have ever recorded. Now, sorry, I finally get to the answer. Um, you know, high frequency data, <laughs> it's always a complicated one, but high frequency data tell us that, um, you know, so traffic statistics, geolocation statistics, electricity consumption, that kind of stuff, that tells us that some of these recoveries are running into the sand a little bit at the moment. Now, it may just be a temporary thing, but we can surely see that until you get vaccines or perhaps a, you know, a, a treatment that really blunts fatality of COVID-19, a lot of the activity based on kind of indoor proximity is just not going to recover. And Mike was sort of alluding to some of that um, a, a minute ago. So the second kind of unfinished slope of the V 
if you like, is starting to wilt um, a little bit. Long-winded, uh, long I know, but I think the risks are pretty balanced from here. Uh, we know a lot more about how to reduce transmission, you know, mask wearing, restrictions on indoor gathering, you know, treatments will likely continue to improve. Uh, and there's now a high probability of a widely available ACT vaccine in the first half of 2021. And policymakers will, will, you know, will definitely remain very supportive. That, that's already being seen in the case, and you'll probably see more of that in the US. But this is a highly transmissible virus that's that's known. The return of schools and flu season and other factors uh, could significantly complicate the recovery. Um, and furthermore, the problems under the surface of the global labour market, uh, particularly those more services oriented economies like the UK and the US, they are concerning, as we've spoken about before. I think, you know, long winded and like I say, no real conclusion, a, a typical economist answer, but don't underestimate us. You know, we've, we talk about this a lot. History speaks of our um, impressive flexibility and adaptability. You know, Mike alluded to a bit of that with talk about some of the companies and how they're adapting, but it is going to be complicated um, uh, from here. Um, and uh, we would obviously recommend you continue to tune into this podcast to hear more uh, detail on how it's going. <laughs> Good plug. That's super helpful. Um, you know, the reality is we, we, we don't have a crystal ball, of course, but, you know, everything you just laid out there, there is some um, some cause for some optimism, which um, which is surely what we all want. Um, so listen, well, Mike, thank you very much. Thank you to our listeners for listening to us and do join us again for next week's Word on the Street. All investments can fall as well as rise in value and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.